We'll be reading uh, from Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 to 6. Be careful not to, to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be seen and to be honoured by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your... Oh, hang on. Yes, pardon me. Um, when you pray... Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And then we go on to verses 16 and 18, or 2.18. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men that they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put on oil on your head and wash your face so that it would not be obvious to men that you are fasting. But only your Father, who is unseen, uh, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. We ask now that by your spirit you would be at work in us. Take that word, that living, active word, apply it to our hearts. Uh, convict us, change us, comfort us, build us up. Show us where there are areas that we need to address. Uh, and by your grace, give us the strength uh, to address them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you've noticed, it's Father's Day. Yes? Now, when you think about dads, they have very powerful figures, very influential figures in our lives. It's good that we set aside a day, I speak as a father, uh, to honour the fathers amongst us, uh, because I think we sometimes fail to recognise just how significant that impact can be. God's plan for fathers, among others, not the only people who do this, but we crave identity. We need to build a sense of who we are. And we do that in relationship with, among others, our fathers. We long for security. And our earthly fathers are one way God provides for that. We crave to belong, to feel that this is our place and our fathers are part of making that actually happen. We crave approval. Think of the power of parental approval. Or maybe think of the hurt of the lack of parental approval. 
Fathers are key for God's design in all of this, and it's a huge responsibility. Those of us who are dads or grandfathers here, we need to recognize that it is a really big thing that God has put for us. We have the opportunity to shape an eternal being for better, for worse. Can I say dads are not the only ones? Obviously, mums have a key role in that as well. So, you know, dads are not standing alone in that task. But if we're also honest, we recognise that every father falls short. If you are a dad here today, you've got kids still living at home, you can probably, like me, recount things this week that you did or didn't do, that you said or didn't say, that you look back on and think, hmm, that could have been better. We recognise that we fall short, our weaknesses, our sins, sometimes even just our mortality, that dads don't live forever. And when they die... They leave a hole. We feel that lack, don't we? We have wounds, we have scars, because we must recognise that no human father can actually provide everything that we need. And it's special this morning that our passage, even though it doesn't necessarily look obvious, our passage speaks to how God meets this need for us. We're going to unpack our little passage under three headings. Kingdom life kingdom motive and kingdom focus. So let's dive right in. Kingdom life. Jesus, at the start of the Sermon on the Mount that we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks, last six weeks or so, uh, Jesus has announced the kingdom. So in verse uh, 17 of chapter 4, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus tells us that his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of which he is the king, has arrived in his person. And the way to get in, the way to respond to that, is repentance. If you go to Matthew or uh, Mark's accounts of this, they'll add repent and believe. They're really two sides of the same thing. Repentance turning away from something, faith, believing, turning towards something, two sides of really the same action. And Jesus says the kingdom has come. If you want to enter, you enter by turning away from every other king and turning to him as king, turning away from everything else upon which you seek to build your criteria for entry, your standing before God, your identity, your security, your belonging, your craving for approval. You set aside all those things. You turn away from them all and you look to Christ and through Christ to the Father to provide everything that you need. And it's there. You turn to Christ. You repent, turning away, and you turn to Christ it is offered by his grace. It is received through faith. Jesus invites us into a whole new life and a life that is different by degree. It's not just a slightly tweaked life or a slightly shinier life. It's a radically different life. As Monty Python once said, and now for something 
completely different. It's not just a variation on a theme. The kingdom that he asks us to join is radically different. And so he looks at the religious leaders of the day, and what does he say in 5 verse 20? He says that unless your righteousness surpasses the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. He tells us that it is a life that is beyond what this world can, can comprehend. In 5 verse 16, he tells us that our light shines before others, that the life of the kingdom is light in darkness. It's not dusk. It's not a variation on darkness. It is the contrast of light to dark. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, he tells us that this life that we are called to, that we enter in through faith and repentance, is a life that has a trajectory that ends in perfection. Be perfect, therefore, Jesus tells us, as your heavenly Father is perfect. It's a whole new world. Do we see that? Or do we think of ourselves as being just like everyone else, but we just do religious stuff on Sundays? We maybe do religious stuff on Wednesdays or whenever your growth group meets, or Friday night if you're a youth group. Do we just think we're just a slightly different form of them? Jesus says, no. No, it's a whole new world. The Old Testament looked forward to this. So Ezekiel 36, we read these words about the promise that Jesus brought to fulfillment. The Father says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. Ezekiel is saying, this is resurrection. This is not, I'll make you slightly better. He's saying, I will give you a whole new life, a new heart, a new spirit. The image there is like in Eden where God breathed into Adam a spirit that gave him life, that through the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, he will do that. Again, he will give us a new heart. He will give us a new spirit. I will remove from you your heart of stone. And give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you. The Holy Spirit. The gift that comes as the Father and the Son pour out the Spirit upon his people. And that Spirit will move us to follow his decrees and to be careful to follow his laws. To change the way we live. And it is that pattern of life, that kingdom life, that Jesus lays out for us in the Sermon on the Mount. It is something that we do in dependence upon God. It is something that we do empowered by His Spirit, but it is something that we are called to do. And it can be dangerous, because I don't know about you, but if you look at what Jesus has called you to do, if you lived like that, what would life look like? What would you look like? Don Carson puts his finger on the danger. He says, we human beings are a strange lot. We glimpse just a little of the genuine beauty of perfect holiness and then prostitute the vision by dreaming about the way others would hold us in high esteem 
if we were like that. And it is to that danger that Jesus turns in our second point, kingdom motive. Jesus warns us. He says, be careful. Be careful not to practice your righteousness. If you have an old translation, not to do your acts of piety, your religious things, in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. This is a statement of principle. Jesus is saying, don't do it. Don't do your acts of righteousness before others to be seen by them. But if you've been paying attention, you'll notice that Jesus appears to have contradicted himself. Yes? 5 verse 17, or 16, sorry. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds. Do not do your acts of righteousness before men. Is Jesus a complete fool? Or is there something else happen? You've got to ask, why? Go back into 5.16. What was the motive for letting your light shine? That they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. But here, Jesus is saying, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. Why do we want to be seen? Why do we want to be seen? For some of us, going back to the role of fathers in our lives, but not just fathers, we crave approval. We crave others thinking well of us. We want to be honoured. We want to be respected. We want to be the people that people look to and go, wow. Or maybe we're afraid. We're afraid that if we don't be seen to be doing the right things, that we don't be heard to be saying the right things, that we won't be accepted, that we won't fit in, that we won't belong. And so Jesus warns us. He warns us that if that is our goal for doing these things, three things that he lists as just examples, but we could add others to them. If that is our goal, we're going to find that we are just the same as the scribes and the Pharisees, and that righteousness is not true righteousness at all. Because Jesus gives us these three examples. He gives us three things that were just normal as part of the Jewish religion. He just assumes that you'll do it. When you give to the poor, when you pray, when you fast. Just assume that they all do it anyway. It's not a question of whether you should, it's a matter of how and why. And he says, when you do these things, don't be like the hypocrites. Now, the Greek word here for hypocrite is actually, if you trace it back to its roots, it's the word for actor, like the person who stands on the stage, who reads lines and plays a part. Jesus says, don't be like them. One of my favourite movies, it was one of my favourite movies because I saw it uh, on a plane coming back from Malaysia, and you know when you get that phase where you just can't sleep? 
And then you just watch the same movie of what I did, is watched it three or four times in a row, and it just got funnier and funnier. Has anyone ever seen Galaxy Quest? If you haven't, you need to. You must. It, it, it's a spoof of all the Star Trek movies in the world. Uh, and they're two-bit actors who are just doing the circuits of sci-fi conventions. But what they don't realise is that an alien species has been watching the TV show as it's beamed around the world, and they thought it was real. And so when they're looking for salvation, they go and they dig up these three, who are two-bit actors who are burnt out and just don't know what, what day it is. They're looking to them to say, and it's very funny uh, in its own different little way. I recommend it highly, but you see the whole idea that they are not able to deliver what is actually called for. And Jesus is saying, don't be like that. You look all the right things, you do all the right things, you say all the right things, but you're not the real thing. Their guns look real, their little communicators look real. Their ship, it looked real, but it was a little model that was about this big, that lived in a, a cardboard box. But the aliens didn't pick that. They fooled them. But these actors, they knew they were frauds. And then when they were brought into the real world, it was exposed in a funny but somewhat tragic kind of way. But what do actors do? They play a role for applause. If they're professional, they actually work for a wage. So they play a role to receive benefit. And Jesus says, don't do that. You can work hard, he says. You can perform well. You can build, you can build your identity. You can build your security. You can build that longing for belonging and approval. You can do it by your performance. You can gain respect, honor, power, security, belonging, but Jesus says you are nothing more than an actor if that is your goal. And religious, religion, is especially dangerous. We could add all sorts of other things to this. We could talk about professional life. We could talk about parenting. We could talk about financial assets, the house you live in, the car that you drive, just how devastatingly beautiful and witty you are. You could build your identity on all those things. But there is something that is especially dangerous about building it on religious performance. And that is that we convince ourselves that we're doing it for God. So when we give, it's a good thing, isn't it? Most of us recognise that our value doesn't isn't determined by the kind of car that we drive. But we can look at our religious performance and we can say, I'm doing okay. We can look around and compare ourselves to others and see that we're perhaps doing better than they are. We can build and we convince ourselves, our heart convinces us that it's actually okay because it's a good thing I'm doing. Who wouldn't want to pray? Who shouldn't give to the poor? But what we don't realise is that we're actually doing it to ourselves. We're giving to ourselves. We're praying to ourselves. We're fasting for ourselves. How would you know? How would you know? If it's so subtle, if we convince ourselves so easily, how would you know if this is you? 
Let me give you three things. Pride. You kind of look around and you're very acutely aware that you're doing it better than they are. And you feel pretty good about yourself. Maybe it's not even comparison. Maybe you've set up the criteria in your own mind and you are doing it well. You've set yourself the task. I'm going to read my Bible and say my prayers every day. And I feel pretty good about myself because I'm getting it done. I'm saying my prayer. I spent half an hour in prayer this morning and I've read the Bible through year after year after year and I don't miss a day. But if I do, I catch up anyway and I still, I still do it. Pride. You look at others. Maybe you look down on others. Ah, look, when you're... When you're as experienced as I am, when you've walked with the Lord as long as I have, then you'll understand that kind of polite condescension, or maybe not so polite. You know the Pharisee in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector? I thank you, God, that I am not like other men, like that tax collector. Pride. Fear. Are you concerned about what others think? Do you find yourself changing what you do and what you say, how you act, depending on who the audience is? Do you find yourself adjusting to fit in in Christian circles or in non Christian circles? Are you controlled by others' opinions? Are you the kind of person that you walk in, you know, on a funny scale, it's a stupid sort of thing, where someone tells you they don't like your shirt and you can never, look, you can never wear that shirt again? Or you find it hard to put it on? You can tell that I don't, that's not my issue. People tell me they don't like my shirts all the time. I don't care. I have other buttons to push. That's a stupid one. But are we controlled by others' opinions? Are we trying to fit into what we think their expectations are? If so, maybe you need to listen to what Jesus is saying. Is there an inconsistency in your life that when you pray in growth group, when you pray up front, when you preach a sermon, you expound truth faithfully and fearlessly, but then privately you don't? Your prayers up front are eloquent and absent when you're not up front. That you express all sorts of care. I'll pray for you about that. And you never do. There's a public persona that is completely different to the private. Maybe you need to listen to what Jesus is saying. If he says, don't be a hypocrite, what is his answer? Well, simple. Hide it. Secrecy. Fasting. Dress up. Put oil on your head. That's their way of you know, putting product in your hair, uh, making yourself look good. Don't look like you're fasting. Hide it from everyone else. Prayer. Do it in a room alone. Don't make a big deal about it. Go and do it in secret. Giving. Don't let your left hand know 
what your right hand is doing. But can you see the issue? And I don't think Jesus was ignorant of the issue either. I think he deliberately frames the answer in a way to push us further. It's like me sitting here going, I don't want you to think about pink unicorns. Okay, don't think about pink unicorns. Really don't think about pink unicorns. You're all thinking about pink unicorns, aren't you? Even if you don't want to. Why wouldn't you want to look, think about pink unicorns, really? But it's like saying, I really must make sure my left hand doesn't... I can't keep secrets from myself. It just doesn't work. And so maybe I can hide it from you, but I can't hide it from me. And for some of us, the approval that we seek is not the approval of others, it's the approval of self. That I'm okay, that I meet my standards, I have integrity. We have that world of self-congratulations. Maybe after you make that bank transfer into the church account or tier account or CMS account or whatever, and you think, I'm generous. Isn't that good? That little self-congratulations... That little pat on the back, isn't that wonderful? We can't escape ourselves. And the issue is as well, is that Jesus tells us in chapter 5, verse 16, that we were never meant to live in secret. We were never meant to live our Christian lives in isolation. In the same way, he says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We're meant to be seen. Jesus knows this, so he is deliberately pushing us beyond. Because we could set up a rule, couldn't we? No more public prayer, not in Trinity Hills, not in our growth groups, not in our youth groups, not in families. You need to pray quietly by yourself in your room because that's what Jesus tells you. Okay, there's rule number one. Okay, and if you're going to give, somehow you have to work out, well, how do I do that? I haven't got the faintest idea how to tell you that how your left hand cannot know what your right hand is doing. Short of probably doing some kind of neurological surgery, uh, I can't make that happen. How do we do this? Jesus is pushing us forward into our focus. I could give you some helpful habits this morning. I could tell you the little how-tos. Okay. There's a useful habit, particularly for those of us who are in prominent public ministry, that we do things deliberately, secretly. We do things and we serve in ways that no one knows because it's easy when you stand up the front for people to be coming up and going, oh, thank you for that. Oh, they see how you serve and they praise you and it's easy to do that. Discipline of secrecy. Giving. Well, we have a great advantage that Jesus' time didn't have. We have electronic funds transfer. I can't even tell you how much I give because I forgot because I set it up at the start of the year. Okay, it's a great benefit, but you know what? I still know that I give, and my heart is still the same. We can try and cultivate a bad memory. Some of us are really good at doing this, but can I say it's selective? It's only about the things that you want to forget. The problem remains the same. And the problem is the problem of the heart. Imagine you're dating. For some of us, that's a little while ago. For some of us, it might be in the future. Imagine that you are there with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, 
And what's going through your head is, I wonder how this person makes me look. Do I look good standing next to them? Does she show me off? Am I better if I stand on her right? Do I look better on her right or on her left? Well, how does he make me feel? What's going to happen to that relationship? It really doesn't work, does it? As soon as the other person finds out that all you're actually concerned about is what you're getting out of it. It just doesn't work. You're using that person to get what you want. And Jesus is saying that if you are doing your act of righteousness before people in order that they might see you, in order that you might get identity and security and significance and approval from them, you are using God in the way that that boyfriend is using that girlfriend. You're using him to make yourself look good. Religion can be phenomenally self-serving. Generosity, extravagant generosity, can be phenomenally self-serving. In the end, Jesus says, you're not giving to the poor, you're giving to yourself. You're paying for approval. I heard a story once of a cathedral in the UK that was looking to raise money for a restoration, and the trustees of the cathedral thought they might put a plaque in the foyer uh, with all the names of the benefactors. And uh, one of the men who was sitting on that particular committee, who was a little bit more biblically literate than uh, most of the others, said, that's fine, as long as we put these words above it, they have received their reward in full. Extravagant generosity can be phenomenally self-serving, as can prayer, as can fasting, as can any of our religious service. We can use God to get what we want. So rules are not the answer. Hiding is not the answer. What is the answer? The answer is to have such a love for God that you actually take your eyes off yourself and you're looking at him and you become blissfully unaware of what you're doing. When you truly love someone, if you think about a human relationship and you're buying a gift for them, do you care within reason how much that gift costs? If you can get the thing that is perfect, that obviously was within the resources that you have, for that person that you love more than all other earthly people, you don't care if it costs a lot, because you love that person and you want, you want to serve them, you want to bless them. How do we live a life of unself-conscious righteousness? We do it out of a love for God. Going back to our dating illustration, think about how you build a relationship, how you grow in love for each other. You spend time with each other. You actually spend time cultivating their good points. You don't find the worst photograph that you can ever find of them that really shows them in that unflattering life and put that one at the top of your bed. You find a really beautiful photo that shows them in all their beauty as you see them. And maybe you sit there on your bed and you gaze at the photo. You dwell on them. You spend time with them. 
You want to know the more you see. Why would it be any different with God? If we want to live lives like this, we have to be gazing upon his beauty. We need to be spending time with him. We need to be growing in our love for who he is. We need to be spending time, as we talked about with the kids, in the word because it is the word that the spirit uses. The spirit just doesn't give us warm fuzzies about God. The spirit takes the promises of God and he applies them to our hearts. He convicts us. He digs them deep into us. He takes that word and applies it in our lives. He does that in prayer. He does that in praise. He does that in the Lord's Supper. He does that as we share true fellowship, as we speak God's blessings to each other. Not in a mechanistic way. If I do these things, then I'll love God more. But in a relational way that depends upon him and the Spirit's enabling. And ultimately... Ultimately, if we are going to gaze upon God in all his beauty, if we are going to see God's power in its utter majesty, we go to the gospel of the Lord Jesus. It is there we see the Father's love most clearly. Because it is there where the Son received the condemnation rather than the approval of the Father where the son was shut out rather than welcomed in. The son was denied. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is there when we realize that that act was for us. And the spirit takes that promise of the gospel and says, God loves you this much. That is where, that is where we see God. All the way through this passage, Jesus has spoken of a reward. Seems a bit mercenary, doesn't it? I want to end as we think about that reward. What is the reward that we seek for our acts of righteousness? Not the wage of an employee, not the actor's applause. What's the reward of a child loved by his or her father. It's the embrace. It's the smile. It's the heart that is there. It's the promises that he will never leave. He will never forsake. Our earthly fathers cannot do that through sin and weakness and sheer mortality. But our Heavenly Father does, and our Heavenly Father can. And in Christ, he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. He delights in us. He delights in us. And we long for the day, and we work for his glory that we might hear his praise, because his praise is the only praise that matters. Well done, good and faithful servant. So brothers and sisters, what's the answer? Love God. Love God. And there is so much to love. Let's pray. Lord,
Sometimes we, we seek cheap imitations. We long for an identity that is sure, but we look to fickle opinion and approval from others. We long to belong, to be at home, to be secure, but we put our trust in things that can never, never do that. We desire those words of affirmation. We crave them. But Father, we turn away from your word that affirms us above all others. And we turn to the praise of men and women. Lord, help us to repent. Help us to see just how empty this is. And Father, we do pray that by your spirit, you would show us that through Christ we have your approval. Through Christ we are secure. Through Christ we do belong. Through Christ we have an identity that is ours by grace as your sons and daughters. And in your son's most precious name we pray. Amen.